often, I guess, group facilitators have this assumption that learning happens outside of the comfort zone. And there are theories that can support this. But then it makes you think, well, it might work for some, but then the cost for not working for somebody else and losing them because of that is probably just too high. Welcome to Solution Focus Possibilities podcast. We want to help you have more productive conversations in whatever area of work or life you find yourselves in. What better way to do that than to invite you into our own conversations as we discuss our solution-focused practice, our different experiences and findings. We hope you find this helpful, useful and inspiring. Welcome to our podcast. Okay, so today we were uh, going to have a bit of a chat about something that's kind of been on my mind quite a lot while we've been working together as a solution-focused possibilities, based on some of the experiences I had before I really even knew about this. Uh, so I used to work for a bereavement service, uh, and our approach was quite different to the way that you guys would do things. Um, and we've been having a bit of a chat off air about some of these things previously, and we thought it'd be good to bring it to the podcast especially because with all the things that are going on in the world at the moment uh, it's quite possible that people are working with more uh, bereavement cases and clients than they perhaps would have done a while back uh, so it's something that'd be useful for people to listen into our conversation about it at, at the moment um, so I guess the first thing is just in general you know is, is uh, bereavement as an issue something that you you guys work with a lot within solution focus practice um is it something that's compatible with that approach would you say yeah i mean i for me i think it's definitely an area where solution focused practice is, is useful for people um and i think when you think about bereavement and loss people talk about that in a, a variety of, of different ways so that could you know, be someone passing away or that could be, you know, parents losing a, a child, but not kind of by, by death, but more of like someone moving out and not wanting to have contact with them and, and things like that. So anytime there's, there's a loss of that sort where there's a sudden change in life, I think there's, yeah, a lot of things that I've seen, I've kind of come across in, in my work. And I think for me, one of the biggest things that stands out is, is that idea of we still start the same way that there's probably going to be a lot more maybe listening and, and acknowledgement. Um, and yet I think we'd still start in the exact same way of saying, what would you want to get from, from talking with us? What would your best hopes be if we had a, a useful conversation around everything that's going on? You know, what would you hope that leads to for you? Yeah, and this is um, why there is probably not much published on the topic because uh, most of or much of solution-focused literature would have been quite general and that isn't because it wouldn't work in certain specific contexts but it's rather that it can be applied to pretty much any context for the reason that we don't have an agenda of what people should be wanting in a certain situation what they should be going through what their feelings should be so we would as Greg said ask and start with uh, like we would with any other client Yes, I mean, certainly I've seen solution-focused you know, be used by 
uh, colleagues uh, with bereavement. Uh, there's a lady that I work with who um, you know, actually volunteers in a sort of end of life ward and um, she's been using uh, some of the, some of these questions and uh, certainly I've had um, you know clients um, who suffered bereavement and I think it's yeah Bieber's absolutely right that it's the same um, you know process uh, that we go through but I think some of you know because of the sensitivity of the topic I think it actually um, highlights the importance of some of um, the process and some of the assumptions like more more so than um, perhaps other topics so um, I feel like maybe you have to pay more careful attention to some of the you know, solution focused assumptions when you're working with bereavement um, the, the one that immediately jumps to mind for me is that idea of leading from one step behind and letting the client lead the lead the session lead the conversation um, I feel like that is even more uh, important in you know a sensitive topic like this so i guess my first question really and, and perhaps the thing that might initially pop up in people's minds who are working in bereavement is it seems like you know solution focused practice is very much focused around looking to uh, a preferred future something that people want their life to be like in the future um and i just know from personal experience that that is something I, I've seen is a really difficult thing for people to even go near, uh, especially when they're perhaps ne- uh, newly bereaved. And even the idea of being able to s- suggest to them to look beyond that um, may be really difficult. And in fact, people might not even want to go there. They might not want to imagine their life without that person in and to kind of come up with some positive future would be really difficult. So how does that work uh, in solution focused approach when it comes to bereavement and looking to the future like that oh, no, I was just thinking for me it's, it's that idea of not necessarily jumping to a, a new future straight away but I think by there's that like nuanced difference of saying what would you want the outcome of our conversations to be and and for some people that's more about remembering someone that they've lost like being able to hold on to that person in their life and for some people it's about like coping and and managing and getting through the 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 challenging times that they've they've got and and people at another point might then be saying i want to be moving on with my life kind of thing i want to be able to kind of carry on and you know put this behind me and not let it affect me so i suppose it's depending on what that answer is to that that outcome people are after that would completely change the direction of the conversation because if somebody did say you know no matter what happens i want to hold on to that person and and then you know we would obviously explore some some of the past things that they'd want what is it about that person what is it about how they've affected your life that you'd want to hold on to what would be the signs that you're you know you're holding on to that that sort of thing so depending on yeah where someone's coming from and what what they're after then that would completely change the the direction of the conversation i think for me i mean you said there jamie um, i think you used the phrase you know i've worked with lots of people who just genuinely didn't want to move on and the immediate thought that comes to my mind is um so so what is it that they do want you know, and that's another solution-focused assumption. And so, again, I think this is—I think this conversation is highlighting how important those assumptions are. And so, the other assumption there is that you know everybody wants something, and it's just our job to find out what that is. 
and you know that's okay if what they want isn't anything to do with moving forward or looking beyond that's okay but our job is to find out what is it that you do want and then how would you know that that was happening uh, which makes sense that without having a, the first answer from the client on what is it that they want we can't go on and of course SF is uh, often perceived as a model as a set of techniques of which prefer future would be a big big part of and that would make sense as in bereavement um, but it's not a set of skills it's not a technique it helps you um, but the assumptions that guys were talking about have to come first and then the technique is just a tool uh, that helps you and your client go in the direction that the client determines and what if you haven't got that you can't go anywhere because you don't have the the permission to do so and if you do that without the permission then you get resistance from the client then you might have responses in uh, what we're talking about is nonsense um, you're not being helpful and such which makes sense from their perspective and they're right mm. so is, are you guys working currently with people who have been bereaved is that something that's uh, like a current experience yeah I, I have a few um, clients at the moment who have suffered bereavement um, and some some in the past as well uh, I think it's um, yeah I mean I would say that one of the Bieber's just spoken there about the assumptions coming first she's absolutely right and then actually the process and the questions are, are a tool really to carry out those those assumptions um in in terms of that side of things in terms of the sort of tool in the process um i've always found the uh, the difference question incredibly helpful for this you know so what difference would that make um to you know to give you a probably one of the more extreme examples of someone i've worked with when i asked them you know what are your best hopes from our work together um, you know, their response was along the lines of they wanted their uh, their dad to be alive again yeah um, and when you follow something like that with the question and what difference would that make what you're doing is is still holding their first answer you're not dismissing it so you're, you're keeping it in your next question so you're not sort of there's no hint of well that's unrealistic or that's not going to happen it's just okay and if that did happen what difference would it make and it just gently starts to move the conversation um, into an arena that perhaps we can work with um, so I think that person at the time said along the lines of um, you know they'd be able to sort of um, be here for me and I think they said they'd be able to sort of like watch me like playing sports they'd be able to watch me um, like playing for my team and stuff um, and then all I did was just repeat the same question so you know if they were there and they were able to watch you and see how you're getting on what difference would that make and then the answer was around them being proud of me you know I'd know that my dad was proud of me and then the same question again, and if you knew that your dad was proud of you, what difference would that make? And I think we got something along the lines of, you know, I'd be happy. Uh. Yeah, I think it's helpful because it doesn't dismiss their previous answer. Um, yeah, I mean, that in that example, so we went from, um, you know, I want my dad to be alive again to, and if that happened, what difference would it make? You know, he'd be around, he'd be able to watch me play in sport, he'd be able to watch with my team. 
again if he was there able to watch you what difference would that make um, yeah, he'd be proud of me okay and knowing that your dad was proud of you what difference would that make um, well I'd be happy it was kind of along those lines um, so just with that one question we sort of moved from um, you know I want my dad to be alive again to to I want to be happy um, and, and the important thing there is that at no point have we dismissed any of their answers we've actually incorporated their answers into the next question um, and that is obviously something you know that idea of finding some happiness again that's then obviously something that we can contract and we can work on um, and I would I would just assume that I'd check in with them I'd say you know okay so as a result of us working together if you found yourself to be a bit happier you know would that be a good use of our time and when they say yes that's permission to sort of then work on and keep going with that as a, as a topic as a as a hope of theirs yeah so when I was actually in the bereavement in my in my job around bereavement uh, a while ago I actually remember having a two day I think it was a, a two day it might have been less but some training around solution focus um, and I remember there being a fair bit of skepticism and um, people were pretty unsure about it and how it could work with bereavement at least how it would kind of fit with the model of the way that we'd always run programs and things uh, and part of that was what we've already talked about um, about the future but another part of it, and probably one of the biggest parts of it, was that of the the scepticism was that a, a big part of what we did was focus on the story of of what happened. So our programs and one to one stuff was designed around uh, a young person or family member, whoever, really sharing about what happened how the person died how that made them feel uh kind of reflecting upon that moment in quite a lot of detail and solution focused approach seems to not want to go there in terms of thinking about the problem too much or going over the past um, and i think that was a part of the issue that people or the resistance that people may have had was uh, something that we we see as or something that we know is a thing that helps people uh solution focused doesn't really want to touch it uh, so is that something that you guys don't do at all or how would that work i think for me that it's that last sentence and, and statement there that, that jumps out the most it's the bit of the bits we see that that people need to do if that makes sense so i think from i mean i've, I've pulled up the bookshelf the old kubler ross book mm -hmm. From ages ago, um, and I think there's something about like these are the stages people need to go through, um, and I think we kind of get rid of that. It's it, from from a solution focused standpoint, it's it's very much like non-normative. So we're each kind of journey you like that each person takes is going to be totally different from another. So we might for some people they might want to be talking about some of the past things. But I suppose, again, it always goes back to how are they linked to their best hopes? And some of the questions we might be asking would be be different depending on what the outcome is. So, for instance, if somebody's saying, you know, something, I, I want to be able to take them with me still and hold on to them, you know, that person that I've lost, then by being able to go into the past and talk about the story, you're going to be asking those focused questions on the bits from the past that they want to take forward. 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's that notion of talking about an experience someone's been through that's been quite difficult. I don't know that we would focus it just kind of openly and widely on, on something like that. I think if we would say, you know, and, and given how difficult that was, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think they would have been proud to have seen you doing as you as you got through it? Something more along those lines, as long as, again, that's linked with their hopes and what they want to get from from our conversation. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, is it just a disagreement then about what is ultimately helpful? Because everything that we did was really based around sharing story because we thought that was one of the most helpful things for someone. Would you just disagree with that? Like that for you, sharing your story in that way isn't ultimately the most beneficial thing we can do? Not in, I would say not in that in that way. Like I wouldn't have someone kind of go through the experience of, of losing a loved one and finding out how, how difficult that was for him. I think that naturally will come up in in the conversation. And because nine times out of ten, when we say, well, what, what would you want to get from talking with us? People will say, well, I'm going through a really rough time right now. I'm really struggling because, you know, I've just lost, you know, a parent or a relative. Then obviously we're going to mm-hmm. acknowledge that. We're going to be going to be human about that and kind of make sure that we don't just dismiss it. Because that would, as Biba said, that would create that sense of, well, you're not listening to me. This is not helpful. I think it's that it's mm-hmm. that kind of hearing them and still asking those questions. And much of that would depend when in the process we come in and what our role would be to come in. And with bereavement, that reminds me of the early uh, work of the Mental um, Research Institute where they were working, this is before SF, like very early, early stuff, when they were looking into problems and problem patterns and trying to find the clue into breaking that problem pattern. And of course, if you have that thinking, you need to define what the problem is. And uh, I remember a quote that is assigned to John Weakland, who said that life is one damn thing after another, and that's not a problem. Like when you lose someone that is dear to you, that's not a problem, that's life. But the problem occurs when you kind of keep repeating the same damn thing over and over. So in that context, bereavement would have been if you keep feeling the loss and pain for much, much, much longer than it usually is. And that by usually we we don't know what that is. But Mm. for instance, if somebody can't get over the loss of a loved one in 10 years time, then that might be considered something where they would they could use help um, with but if someone's lost their loved one of course they're going to be upset of course they're going to be feeling loss and um, in that sense sharing a story would make sense and we wouldn't know that in up in front uh, we would would have to ask and of course we wouldn't come in and say oh you've lost your loved one how can I help maybe that that's not what they need and maybe that's not that's not a problem at all or a challenge is, is part of life and we all need to get through that in our own ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that comment from Beaver around we need to get through it in our own ways. 
I think that's probably the distinction or one of the distinctions between what you're describing, Jamie, where you've got this mm. sort of, you know, people working from this standpoint, this formula of, you know, we know as the professionals, as the experts, that what this person in front of us needs to do is yeah. process their traumatic past story. Yeah. Mm. And what we're saying is our standpoint is everyone's going to get through that in their own way. And, so, and it comes back to assumptions again. So it's that assumption of, you know, the client, the person we're talking with is the expert on their own lives and they're the expert on how best to work through it. And that yeah. assumption that we mentioned before of, you know, leading from one step behind. So it's about, you know, not, we wouldn't deliberately ask about, um, you know, those things. However, if someone you know were to bring mm. them up themselves, then we would follow their lead, and we would ask solution-focused questions um, around you know that past stuff. You said sort of processing the past earlier, which is something we might do, but we're asking from a solution-focused angle, which you know Greg touched on earlier about you know what are those. Um, things those aspects that you want to take forward um how did you you know make the most of that relationship um whatever and it's got to be linked to the best hopes so i can't give exact yeah. examples but mm. so we will ask about you know the past but from a solution focused angle um and it's just that maintaining this position of not knowing and maintaining this position of leading from one step behind um i mean i'll just share if you've got time, I'll share a little story. Um, I was at a wedding yesterday and um, I ended up sitting next to um, someone who had actually had to bury their father two days ago. Um, and I didn't know that and they started to share that with me. Um, and of course, this wasn't a formal session. I wasn't working. Um, but, you know, it's in, in my thinking and ingrained in me to, to apply some of this solution-focused stuff. Um, and just very simply, it was just a case of that leading from one step behind. So it would be very easy to get caught up in and worried about like, oh, so what should I say? What do I need to ask? And to start leading the conversation, you know, to so start asking this guy, so, you know, um, you know how, how did you get on with your dad? You know, um, I don't know, where, where did he live? What, what did he do for a living? You know, whatever question you can come up with that you think might be helpful. But instead having this position of just waiting and listening and waiting for him to leave, lead, uh, what happened in this example is he started showing me photos of a, a play area that he and his dad had built together for his kids. Um, and that's where I then went with the conversation. So after he had taken the first steps and started to lead it, I then started asking questions about, you know, how they've managed to build that together and what difference that had made, how, the, how his kids had reacted when they'd seen it for the first time. Um, and hopefully that was of some help to him. Um, mm -hmm. But my assumption is that the most helpful thing to talk to him about is what he chooses to lead with, what he chooses to bring up. Um, so that's where we yeah. where we come from when we say leading from one step behind. Is, is there a difference uh, when it comes to working with children in this? Um, a lot of my background is working with kids around bereavement, as well as some families and adults and and teenagers and things. Does the assumptions change slightly when we talk about young young children? Who would you still say uh, they're the experts on their lives? They know what they need does there come a point where you as a professional is like actually this will be a really helpful thing for this child and they don't know themselves what they need in this situation is there a difference there 
This reminds me of our previous podcast when we were talking about diversity. And is there a difference where you work with people that don't belong in your own social location? And yes, and we, we then agreed that yes and no. Um, not in terms of process, but in terms of the shape of the conversation, definitely. Like if uh, you, you're probably not going to ask uh, extremely complex vocabulary words, which your client wouldn't give you anyway, um, to somebody who, whose vocabulary is different. So you would try to learn the client's language early on and then use that. And with kids, that would probably mean a sim more simple language, uh, maybe using different tools rather than words. Uh, but the process would still be the same. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess my question is, I remember working with people that were very young, uh, really young children around bereavement. And I'm not sure, and it, this might be a controversial opinion, I don't know, or at least question. Um, I'm not sure that we would have said that they were an expert in their life. Like That's why you have professionals around, That's uh, that they needed some sort of steering and guidance. Uh, is that a controversial thing to say, or would you disagree with that? I suppose there's that... <laughs> that difference in terms of what your what your intention is and what sort of place you're coming from like I suppose I'm hearing a couple of things like there's partly young children potentially mm -hmm. not understanding what's gone on and I suppose if, if you need if someone's trying to explain that to them so they can understand what's happened then I think that's different and I think that's something you, just off the top of my head, I don't think I would use a, an SF conversation because I'm mm. trying to get my point across so that I can help someone understand that someone they knew and loved and cared for isn't going to be around <laughs> anymore. I wouldn't say that. And what are your best hopes from talking with me? <laughs> what would you want to get from this? Because, yeah, yeah that, they would be like, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. Um, so I, I suppose there's a, yeah, a different sort of set of timing around that. I think if if a child, mm. I mean, it's hard to say without an exact age and an exact example, but I think if, if a younger child makes sense of that and knows that that person's not going to be around anymore, I don't see any reason, as Biba said, like you adapt your language a bit um, to still say, what would you want to get from this? How would you know this has been, been useful to you? Um, because I would still say they are the expert in terms of like where they're where they're coming from, kind of what their experiences are, what they're feeling, what mm. life is like for them. Like they're gonna know that better than I could. I wouldn't want to start assuming like they're in a certain position because they've just found out about a loss or, or things like that. Because um, for some it might hit them straight away, and for others they might just think, okay, and then they move on to wanting to go outside and play. And it's not until like a holiday or a birthday comes around, or you know some sort of thing that kind of jogs a memory and it's like oh wait a second where where are they at now and then it, it might kind of yeah hit them a bit i don't know if that really answers your question or not yeah it does so i haven't frozen i'm just um i'm just processing everything because i'm trying to imagine what my colleagues would be saying my sorry my old colleagues would be saying right now uh i think they probably have some interesting views which would actually actually be really interesting to hear so if anyone is listening who who is part of 
the type of thing we're talk to, talking about so far. It'd be great to open the conversation up a little bit and hear from you. Because, uh, yeah, we want to get other people's views on this. So you may disagree, and that's great. So just get in touch. It just feels like it's a very different kind of approach from what many people are used to. some personal experience I lost my father when I was five and it happened all of a sudden and uh, since I was a child they thought my parents and relatives that I need some guidance around how to deal with that loss and I remember having a conversation with I can't remember whom but they were sort of trying to steer me in a direction to realize what was going on and to tell me that this was a terrible thing that happened and Mm. In that sense, it was guidance, yes, uh, not asking about my experience and not believing that I process things in my own way. And of course, it was a traumatic experience, if you wish, but I didn't need guidance into how to deal with with that loss or education in terms of what that means. Um, Because children, who knows? I mean, every child Mm. is different, aren't we? And adults sometimes cling on to things for longer than children do. And keeping somebody and trying to educate them about what's happened and give the full picture around it might not be useful. It might be not arguing about that. It might not be. Um, But asking a child, what do they imagine? uh, How would they want their life to be? And it might be description around friends, pets, and they might even bring a description about that parent that's been gone or the grandparent mm. that's been gone, and they would describe it in a way that reflects how they feel in that moment, um, in that part of life. And what would be different about, um, say, other modalities would be that they would often ask questions like, how does it make you feel now that your dad is gone? And not saying that this is not a useful question, but it does open a whole lot of different answers rather than... so. What would what do you think your dad would be most proud of when he's when he saw you grow? Because um, it does keep the father in the picture, and who knows? I mean, we don't know where the, where those people go, and uh, they might still be there. And if a child believes that, why would you want to break that apart? I think, like um, you know, picking up on some of the things that you guys have said. So, for, first of all, you know, as Greg pointed out. If you're having, is you know, what is the purpose of your conversation? So, if it's a conversation around, you know, helping a young child come to terms with what's happened, and uh, perhaps solution focus isn't the best approach. You know, solution focused is a is a tool for change, really. You know, a tool for helping people, you know, work towards the changes that they want. Um, I think there's something about order as well. You know, the order that we do things. Um, so, you know that this question of you know the client being the expert on their lives and can a young child really be the expert on on their lives i think you know the assume your starting point should be to assume that yes they are and they do know what they want and they do know what would help them um, and 
there's no way that we as the professional can can figure that out. We could spend a lifetime studying that person and never quite figure out what that is. So the starting point and the assumption should be, yeah, they are the expert on their lives. They're the expert on what they want and they're the expert on how best to deal with things um, for themselves. And then I think if you get to a place where like, okay, we that's been our genuine starting point and we've you know, given that... Um, person or that child you know ample of opportunity to explore that um, and it's not at that point proving you know helpful to them then you can start to look at switching to you know another approach uh, or another technique so I think there's something about order as well so giving people the chance to to do it you know to look at it from their own perspective from the perspective of them as the expert first and then if that's not helpful looking at other things um, and I think sometimes with this question of you know the client's the expert sometimes it's helpful to like view it from the other side as well so what happens if you start to not view the client as the expert and, and, wh- and where do you draw the line as well so if you start saying things like oh well you know that child's too young to be the expert on their life you then start having questions like okay so what age is the cutoff point you know, what does a five-year-old know what they want or does a 13-year-old or is it a 12-year-old and and who are we to make that judgment um and it's not this is not just an age thing this happens in all sorts of you know we've spoken before about um people who are diagnosed with autism you know their their voice and their expertise is so often just stripped away from them you know as soon as they get this diagnosis because all of a sudden you have this sort of wave of professionals coming in and saying, right, you know, we um, we have this framework, to, you know, to apply to this situation. You know, we've got these tried and tested techniques and, and theories um, that would benefit. And, you know, often the, the young person's voice in the middle of it all is, is diminished and their sense of expertise over their own lives is diminished. So, so you have to be careful if we view it from that other way of like, where do we draw the line if we start applying this thing of like, well, they can't really be the expert on their own lives. So I think the answer for me is, you know, I'm, I'm not naive enough to say um, that w- we know that solution focused isn't um, 100% effective for everybody and there is no approach that is. Um, but I would say it's a question of order. And I think we always first and foremost need to give people that opportunity mm-hmm. to take the lead and to be the expert on their own lives. And then later down the line, if that's not proving helpful, then we can look at other things. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting point. The point about um, giving, making sure that they retain their voice, because I actually think that was the main, well, a big reason why it was like this week, you're going to share your story because it was felt that you know you have a child kind of be the forgotten voice when a bereavement happens within a family sometimes mm. and the parents are the ones that are you know saying how much this affected them the parents are the ones that are sharing their story and telling you know and sometimes a kid is just like left so i i think part of the reason why we kind of made a program around you guys sharing your story is, is an attempt to try to give them an opportunity to say what it was like for them uh, rather than like the pet this is the parents interpretation of what happened it was like this week we want to know from you what that was like so I think it comes from a place where where it's trying to give a voice back but but perhaps it's still making too much of a 
a program about it and an assumption that would be what they want. It, make, it makes a difference, isn't it, how you invite a person to have a voice? Because when you say, okay, you have a voice now, this also diminishes them because who are you to give them permission to have a voice? So there are ways of doing that without saying it out loud by asking questions that the guys have listed. And um, this is why like, you wouldn't say to a client, I believe that you are the expert in your life, because then again, this amplifies your expert position in having this assumption. But we do that through uh, by asking our questions and staying with the client. And uh, to, to them, it wouldn't make a difference whether they know what kind of assumptions we're holding in our head, because those are assumptions that help us help us do our work better. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when you look back on some of the things that uh, were really key parts of the programs that we ran that now you kind of look back and you're like, that feels a bit strange. And actually at the time, I remember feeling a bit awkward about a few things. Uh, one of them that springs to mind would be uh, within our program, we'd have this week where we would sit down everybody in a circle um, and they, all the children would light a candle and they'd go around the circle and say, oh, I'm lighting this candle in in memory of my dad, in memory of my mom, etc." Um and then there would be this moment where they would sit there and we'd play from a CD like the most depressing song ever. Uh, like a really sad one. It was uh, Fields of Gold. Um, if anyone knows that, they'll know how sad it is. And I think sometimes we did some other songs, but they were very sad songs. And it was kind of like this moment which encouraged people to let their feelings out and people would be very upset everyone would be crying all that kind of stuff and we'd always see that as a really positive thing um but the fact that we were playing this really sad music always felt really awkward to me like we're manufacturing a feeling here that perhaps the people themselves aren't feeling perhaps the person is really happy that that their person who was horrible to them has died perhaps someone just has happy thoughts when they think of the person that's died and instead we're manufacturing this thing um which I don't know, it kind of feels like there's a whole lot of assumptions going on there and agendas that we're placing on the person that's at the, at the program. Um, I'm not sure if that's something they do They do still. I don't want to criticise them, but I guess I'll just suggest looking at that again for people who are doing it. But yeah, sorry, mate, go on. Can I just give a quick example, Joe, just to sort of drive this point home? So I think it's really important. You know, when we it's obviously done with the best intentions and I'm sure for you know a lot of young people this is helpful stuff mm. but, but we have to acknowledge and reflect on that when you when you say something like okay this week you're going to tell your story all right and your intention is to give them a voice more of a voice right but you mm. might because you're because you're leading and because you're assuming from your professional expert position that you know letting them or inviting them to tell their story is going to be the best thing for them you might completely miss the mark okay you, there might be a young person there who the last thing they want to do is tell their story that's the worst thing imaginable to them and you know yeah. and this this happened to um, a recent client of mine where they were they were part of a it was like a small group okay and there was one of these sessions where it was about um you know this is your turn to tell your story and they did it by i think they had a ball that they were throwing to each young person and the idea is when they caught the ball they told their story 
and this young person was so petrified about having to tell their story and speak that the best thing they could think of doing was letting the ball go through their hands and hit them in the face yeah oh, goodness. and that's because yeah. that was like the only way out of this that they could get yeah and mm. it's because and even though we have the best intentions we have to be so careful you know not to assume and not to take this expert position of we know what's best for this young person yeah and that question of okay we might change the wording to be more appropriate for a younger child or or different people but that idea of asking people what are your hopes from our work together what we're trying to do there is provide a question that only they can answer you know and that gives them complete control over where this work goes you know what we do next i was just thinking i mean this idea of a like a framework and a program i think ben's kind of hit the nail on the head for me because even within solution focus practice we have like a rough idea of directions we can take the conversation but it is that notion of it's not set in stone it's not something that, that's formulaic and that everyone must go through it's you know our starting point is the same because that's what gives us the, the direction that that's what tells us where we go next mm. and what we can ask about next um, but I think yeah I think it's important to say we, we still have that bit of we know well not know but we have ideas about what what direction potentially could be useful yet through through having our conversations we're we're checking in with that person we're doing it so we're making sure that we're co-constructing that with the person we're talking with to make sure it is useful for them in that moment mm. and if it's not as Beva was saying earlier if it's not then we change direction it's not something that we would kind of formulaically just keep driving and keep driving and say well no you need to to answer these questions or this is the, the next best thing for you yeah i think that's that's something to still say there is that structure but it's applied in a, a different way i suppose I it just reminded me what Ben shared, uh, like in group work, often, I guess, group facilitators have this assumption that learning happens outside of the comfort zone. So some of the activities <laughs> that really push people outside of their comfort, comfort zone, group facilitators will think is necessary. And um, there are theories that can support this. But then it makes you think, well, it might work for some, but then the cost for not working for somebody else and losing them because of that is probably just too high. And to be fair, none of that evidence that this is a certain truth, 100%, is solid enough to believe that and go with that at all costs. Yeah, that is such an important point because I think um, when you have a group of people who are really upset or emotional or finding it really difficult the easy thing to do is to go, ah, see, they're just processing their difficult emotions. Like, this is a really good thing for them. <laughs> like, yeah. there's no possibility for it to be, actually, this is just a terrible idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's always framed as this is a really important thing they're going through right now. Let them express their emotions and all that kind of stuff. And I remember sometimes those story weeks, people were really upset, like really yeah. distraught about what they were doing. And the assumption, again, was like, oh, this is great. They're just processing their emotions um, and no one was like actually have we thought about the fact that this could just be a really unhelpful thing for them at this point um, and that's sorry and that's not to, to bash the people or the place I was working before because people are trying their best in the frameworks that they've they've got um, 
but it just seems like there's a lot of assumptions going on sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question then is, um, if people who are working in that previous way, the way that I was, or other ways similar to that, when you're working for an organisation, there are these kind of set programmes and set structures that you kind of have to stick with. How can you implement some of the stuff that you guys would talk about within those programs or is it a situation where you have to you would say you need to scrap that entirely and do something new or, or can there be a bit of a fusion can you do some stuff in those old ways but in a solution focused approach I'm trying to help those people that are perhaps listening to this that like I can't change my approach entirely but what can I yeah. do that yeah. might just yeah. improve it I think I suppose for me Greg's like scrap it scrap <laughs> yeah, that yeah. one I, that, that is my initial reaction is just because from the, there's such a clash between mm. like the as you were saying the, the assumptions that you're going into it with yeah. so if you have an entire program developed around this is what you need to do and like almost these are all the things you need to work through to be able to then be you know process your grief and live a, a happy contented life then and we're coming at it from the opposite angle of well actually let's just ask people first what they want to get from from talking with us and then take it from there that that's a pretty big gap <laughs> in my my thinking um if people were to do it, it what's the best way to, to answer that i suppose if you do nothing else start with the best hopes question or you know establish an outcome that that individual wants from from talking with you or from working with you and then i would i don't know I'd, without knowing the ins and outs of the, those types of programs i think i would then think very differently about which parts of it i felt they needed to <laughs> to attend or i would work with them about which bits of that process they might want to be part of or they might feel useful at a, a certain time so rather than have a set order mm. um yeah, maybe say, okay, well, I, I really want to, to talk about my story. Then you say, okay, well, then there's this group for you. Then that may, would that be something you want to do? I think yeah, I'd be asking a lot of questions like that, and if if mm -hmm. that would be allowed within that type of setting. Mm -hmm. But I think I would I would try and yeah, work more towards what that person wanted to be a part of, and see how many of those questions I could I could build in. But I would still stay scrap it if you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg, you're very harsh. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it is tr it is tricky, isn't it? Because if you start, they are very different. And if you start by saying, you know, what is it that you want to get get from this? You know, what are your hopes? How would you know that this has been helpful to you? Um, you might get an answer that just doesn't fit at all with the you know, program you had planned, right? Um, so, you know, we've spoken about this before. Simple example, I'm set to go and work with a young person because they're kicking off in maths lessons, right? And I get there and I say, so what are your hopes from our work? And lo and behold, they don't say, you know, I want to sort out my maths lessons. They say something like, oh, I want to um, like sort out my friendships or I want to get on better with um, my dad or something else. And that's what we work on, 
yeah so you might have this whole program which is built around you know um, dealing dealing with the bereavement or whatever phrase you might want to use and if you're genuinely listening and genuinely letting that person lead when you when you ask them you know what is it that you want from this they might give you an answer that's actually quite far from the bereavement it might be a different area of their life entirely and then mm. what are you going to do are you still going to put them through the bereavement program um, it raises some interesting questions um, yeah you know I've, se- I've seen lots of attempts and I've done it myself of sort of merging or attempting to merge questions and sort of embed some solution focused questions um, into other uh, frameworks it's um it's it's okay, but I think I would I would rather go with the idea of wearing different hats. So um, you know, people that that idea of order again. So like, start with you know wearing your solution focused hat, and and you hold those assumptions really carefully and stick to that as much as you can. And then if further down the line, um, you know, think that something else is, is needed or something else would be beneficial, um, or importantly, the client or the young person indicates that, uh, you know, they, they would benefit from something else, then you can switch hats to, you know, a different approach or uh, something else that, that you're aware of. Um, and that is, you know, that is a, um, a really valid and really valuable skill, you know, to be able to switch tact when you need to you know, mm. of course this you know we love this approach and we know that it helps a lot of people uh, but of course it's not the right fit for absolutely everybody so if there are people you know i'm never going to be someone who says to um you know another professional from a different approach you know just just scrap all that stuff you spent ages learning um, like greg, <laughs> like greg. <laughs> um, and, I, and i also think it's really like i think it's really precious when you've got someone who's open-minded enough um, to take on something that's so different um, and new and you know amazing if you know if that young person or that client has a worker who is able but also willing you know to to try something new and then be able to sort of switch if necessary you know Mm. that can only be good for the young person and the client yeah and i was just thinking in terms of maybe having uh programs set up front where you need to uh, deliver some sort of content go save with the group through some process and to achieve certain outcomes that you as a group facilitator would need to do otherwise you don't get the job um and how can you work around that and of course those programs were probably put in place because they were somehow useful or those who have implied them they believed that they could work and at least what i've learned from my groups is not to try to work that hard to try to ensure that we achieve certain outcomes and just be really transparent with the group uh, by proposing so look this is what i've got in mind to do do you think that that might be anything to it is that something that sounds Mm. uh, interesting how do you want to do it do you have other ideas and then you start negotiating um, like you would with individual clients by asking them what is it that you want Um, so it's sort of on on an objective theme writing your own subjective story and that Mm. can be done in any setting really because every group every person is going to be unique and 
every program is going to be implemented differently anyway. Yeah, that's funny you say that because I was just thinking, what a, what can I imagine some of my old colleagues saying at this point? And I think part of it might be practicalities of, you know, you have a group of, you know, we would have like 30 kids in a group sometimes. Um, how do you manage that when, if each of them have got a different thing they want to get from this program? And I can imagine that being a problem just practically um and it you know and like we said it may just be that the whole system of programs is 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 slightly uh warped anyway like perhaps that's just stuff we need to scrap entirely but i can just imagine the the questions are around the practicalities of how do you work with a massive group of people if everyone wants something different um so yeah that was a interesting that you were saying about that as well Bieber. um okay there's lots I, I'm just trying to look at the time yeah there's lots there's lots of other things I guess that we could touch on around that yeah we could keep going um, and it, actually it might be worth doing something on on group work you know as a whole podcast in the future yeah to. yeah that's a good point point. and actually I wonder whether it'd be nice to get someone on to yeah. be involved in the conversation from yeah a different approach and just see if there is any kind of middle ground that we can get to yeah um, we'll get into a fight <laughs> yeah I have to facilitate <laughs> let's, let's just make sure that that podcast is still a socially distanced one so uh, yeah, be the yeah. chase yeah. them down <laughs> yeah Actually, I I'm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised, Greg. You usually are the one who behaves, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, pleased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Controversy sells, so, you know. Um, well, actually, Bieber, I think what you said, I think, is the thing that sticks to my mind, is you said about, yes, that approach may work for some people, but it's the cost to others. Mm. Um because there were so many stories in that in that kind of program where it would, it did make a massive difference for people. Mm. Um, mm. So I don't want people to get us wrong that's, that they're listening to this and we're not saying that that never works. You should never, ever do that because yeah, there are stories yeah. of that making a huge difference. But the cost of those people that you forced an agenda upon may not be worth it. Yeah. Well, and to remember the way to hell was paved with good intentions. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening to our podcast. Uh, we know that today's episode may have been slightly more controversial than normal. Uh, so if you have a different opinion, different experience or different insights than what we have, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a message on any of our social media channels or email us at info at sfpossibility.org. If we've got enough questions, we'd actually really like to do a Q&A session based on this episode uh, as our next podcast. So if you've got any questions about what we've spoken about, use those same methods uh, to drop us a message. We'd love it if you could subscribe and leave a review of our podcast as well. That would really help us get much more exposure and help our channel grow a bit. So thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next time.